Julia Adolph, and welcome to Loose Leaf Notebook, where we will explore the connection between creativity and mental health, nurturing artistry, emotional intelligence, and self-care. I'm a composer, and I will be sharing my own personal creative process and journey towards mental health, as well as inviting other artists and creative individuals to share their own inspiring stories with you. Today I am joined by acclaimed violinists and yoga instructors Melissa White and Elena Yuriosti. Both are first prize laureates in the Sphinx competition and have performed around the world as soloists. Melissa is also the founding member of the Harlem String Quartet and Elena is a BBC Radio 3 New Generation artist. We talk about why they founded intermission sessions and what they felt was missing from their conservatory training, including a focus on individual agency and how to really connect with your own physical and emotional needs. Hello! Hi! <laughs> Hello there. So nice to meet you both. Oh, likewise. So tell me about, you know, how you both came to the yoga mat as individuals and then came together to form intermission sessions. We actually both came to the practice of specifically Bikram yoga um, and, and we'd just like to offer the disclaimer that um, we think Bikram is a terrible human but he invented uh, a really nice sequence of yoga and we came for different reasons. I went actually for personal reasons. I was in kind of a, a, a tough personal patch so I went and I loved it. It was like the hardest thing I'd ever done mm -hmm. but I walked away feeling very exhausted and very sweaty, but really empowered. Um, I felt strong for the first time. Um, mentally, it was sort of this safe haven where I could just kind of put everything else on hold, have this time for me, and really focus on something. And I think as as musicians, we're used to focusing, right, in the practice room and, and on stage. But this was sort of, this wasn't performative. This was, this was for me. This was my time. And then when I started kind of, noticing the the benefits that it was having on my playing and when I noticed in class you know little tidbits that the yoga teachers would say that I would kind of without thinking about it link back to music and back to my own journey through music I was like this is really cool and and this feels sort of in many ways like an intersection with the, the craft that I already have in my life and Melissa you're sitting up very straight I'm noticing <laughs> Your posture. Actually, I was just reminding myself, like Elena said, it was a similar start for me. I was recommended to try yoga by my um, violin teacher in grad school. Elena and I became roommates in 2014. When we started rooming together, we would share conversations over our dining room table. And one of them talking about yoga was how nice it would have been to have had this practice of some sort when we were younger, especially in our teenage years at string camps, practicing for so many hours, performing, getting nervous, you know, having growing spurts. So feeling a little odd in our body at times. And if we had just had this sort of not an escape, but a parallel practice where we could take ownership of our bodies, our emotions, our mind, and start to see how they can productively work together as one unit. Perhaps what a nicer 
journey it would have been through our teenage years. And then when you get into college and you really start beating yourself up and going to lessons, of course, you're supposed to be critiqued, but starting to be able to manage that in a way that was more helpful than cutting down on ourselves and the way we talk to ourselves. So we would discuss these things and we thought, you know, why don't we start a camp then? We could change this. And when we would talk about this in front of our peers, they would say, oh, I would try this. And we thought, really? So effectively, we created a grown-up band camp and called it a retreat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cause I, I think we also really, like, we both fantasized about going on a yoga retreat, yeah. just like, yes, like exactly. as, as adults. And, and we were like, but they would get really mad at us cause we would have to practice and it would be noisy. And like, I think we'd get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. In 2017, we hosted our first retreat in Manchester, Vermont, and we have a, a beautiful family who owns lots of property, but one of their houses is a mansion. So we all stayed in this house together and we had a yoga room. We would do yoga twice a day. And then between the yoga classes, people were free to practice, explore, take a hike you know, take a nap finally. And then in the evening we would have dinner together. It was catered from farm to table. The food was delicious. And then we'd have share time in the living room, which kind of just turned into a happy hour. And we would discuss things, sometimes play chamber music, make up games. And so this community grew and now it's become an intermission family. And now in the pen during the pandemic, we've even grown it virtually. So what do you think are the biggest or the most important takeaways from yoga to your musicianship? I remember one of the first things for me in yoga classes was this idea of observing yourself non-judgmentally. Um, I think as musicians, we're brought up to just critique, critique, critique um, without even thinking, so that it becomes like second nature. You know, like how many times have we been in the practice room and, and we'll be doing something and we'll be like, ugh. Or, or like, like automatically get frustrated or, you know, immediately shut ourselves down. And in yoga, it was all about, if you fall out, it's okay, try again. Like observing what has happened, not like denying or suppressing it, experience your practice as it is today, um, becomes a very judgment-free zone. And it's not lazy and it's not, we're not like letting ourselves slide, it's just starting to notice things without attaching judgments or stories or even feelings to them. That's been one of my favorite takeaways as well. Also, when going through a challenge, thinking about what can be relaxed or released. And that's been something, I'll never forget the class where a teacher said, as you're kicking and engaging, think about what is relaxing so that you can create space for what you mean to engage. And so often I myself find even off the mat going through a challenge, all I think about is the challenge. What can I do to get through it? What can I do to make it better? What can I do to work harder? You know, all of my energy might go in that direction. But really, if I think about where is there space to breathe, maybe let your shoulders rest down your back, just giving that space can even allow the brain to think of it differently and then you know, you're a bit more clear-headed to take it on. I love that. Another kind of overarching thing is just how you speak to yourself, like the language that you choose, the tone of voice that you choose, even if it's um, inaudible or, you know, totally inside, it matters. 
Um, if you're constantly using words like can't or bad or out of tune or just things that have a negative connotation, you start to believe yourself. So just starting to find much kinder and again, not, not kind of letting yourself off easy because of course, as, as musicians and as people, I would say we have you know, quite high expectations for ourselves. That's how we get to where we, where we are, but doing it in a way that lifts you up rather than, you know, is constantly breaking you down. Because if you're always speaking to yourself in a negative way, or if you allow others, you know, even your teachers to, to speak to you over and over in a negative way, you really start to believe it. And I think also a big thing in yoga, I feel, is taking ownership of yourself, of your space, of your practice, trusting your body, believing that you know your body better than anyone else, no matter what a teacher is telling you to do, knowing your limits. I think these are things, these are skills that we really practice in yoga and I would hope can transfer to, to our um, instrumental lives because I think so many students, we've got that guru mentality, right? That the teacher is always right, that we have mm -hmm. to do what they say, but actually it's not always right. Sometimes it's deeply destructive, you know, and this ranges from severe abuse to you know what that's that's just not right for my body like you don't have my neck so you don't know what it feels like for my neck <laughs> have you each experienced kind of destructive either mentors or classes i mean it, it feels like it's something that's actually a lot more common than people think i had a tough time with with a couple teachers um the sort of psychological ramifications of which I'm, I still kind of process to this day. And actually, when you ask the question, um, a few yoga teachers, like a few very unpleasant yoga teachers also um, sprang to mind where their, their egos, I guess, were very much guiding, guiding their instruction rather than helping the students be their best selves. Every now and then I, I get, I get the voice of this teacher in my mind and and I, I get so angry and, and wish that, you know, I'd stood up for myself or walked out or, or something because like the way he would treat students, I just thought, or looking back now, and now that we are certified yoga teachers, I just think it's totally unacceptable. I would say that my takeaway from all of this is now teaching or guiding is about meeting the person where they are in that moment and kind of figuring out the best way to, to help lift that student up. For me personally, it was a really difficult adjustment when I first arrived to college. Um, and looking back, I didn't quite have an outlet and music became my entire sphere. And starting to find, to rate myself in a very small community. We both went to Curtis, so it's not a large student body. So starting to figure out where I fell, I was creating this in my own head, um, starting to, to see you know, what seemed to be prioritized or um, rewarded, let's say, from a musical perspective and how others were playing and, and the opportunities they were being given. Um, versus myself created this headspace that became very negative. Um, and it took me a good couple years to start to feel like, no, but 
I still have something to offer with my musical voice. You know, adjusting to new teachers takes time as well. And so starting to, to learn the best way to um, get what I needed, I would say, from my teachers or, or know what to bring to a lesson to then get what I needed to be able to work for the week. I wouldn't say they were wasted years, but they were definitely a huge learning experience. And I think it took time to undo the negative headspace that I'd gotten myself into. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to tell myself that, you know, just because it doesn't go the way it seems everyone else is doing it, or just because I don't prefer this type of playing or that type of approach doesn't mean that I'm bad or my music making is bad or I have less of a voice to offer. Quite the contrary. It's like I would prefer people have a unique voice than trying to mimic one. But it took me a really long time to get to that place. How much of this is like yoga actually bringing in a whole sort of new framework of thinking that maybe we're not experiencing in our conservatories? You know, I think that one of the biggest things yoga has helped me to see is that there's no wrong journey and there's no one way journey and that we as people evolve. And so something we perhaps used to do that either brought us peace or seemed to be helpful. Um, I try not to beat myself up when quote unquote, it doesn't work anymore, or I run into a new issue and I never used to have this issue. So I try not to spend as much time thinking where did I go wrong? You know, how many more problems are you going to take on Melissa? And think more about how how it's just part of an evolution and it's really all okay. And so what that literally looked like is making more time in my schedule just to breathe between activities. You know, I used to book myself from having eight to nine and then yes, I can be with you at nine and I'll take the train and that'll get me there by 10, 15. So let's say 10, 20 in case the train is late. And and now I'm like, that's, but then why? That's so much. It's so stressful, right? Um, And so starting to be okay with saying no, but making space for me to feel things and be okay with what I feel and navigating through it. How does, you know, the sort of lessons that you learn or the, the, the mindfulness, the breath work, the, the yoga practice, what has that sort of taught each of you about um, how to care for your mental health or think about your mental health? Um, and I'm using that, you know, mental health broadly and also maybe even your creative health. When I first tried meditation, I'm not going to lie. I was one of those people who thought, mm, what am I going to sit here and breathe? Okay. And then, and then think about my thoughts. That's what we're doing. Okay. I'm a, I'm a team player. So I did it. <laughs> the first time I tried it actually was at our own retreat. And so we have this, we get into this mental space that since we run the retreat, we should do the thing, right? Lead by sure. example. Of course, the first day, the hardest thing was being able to sit that long so then your mind goes to that, like this aches, that aches, can I switch it? You don't know the rules, quote unquote, the <laughs> whole thing. But when I get up, I feel a little bit clear headed that I've carved out space to think, 
And so I never want to be one of these people who's like, oh, you should try meditating. Just, yeah, you know, set your alarm, do it. It's going to work out well. <laughs> My mom freaking hates that. So I know that it's, it is an individual thing, but I do think it's important that we take time for ourselves to just listen. What you're going to hear, I can't tell you, but it's going to be for you and no one else can give that to you, but you deserve it. And it's, somehow helpful and then I think also starting to be okay with having someone to talk to um speaking to a therapist speaking to a confidant speaking to a mentor whoever it is starting not to feel like I have to figure everything out for myself and if I mention that I haven't figured something out or I might have a problem um either as weakness or vulnerable or you know, maybe I'll, will I lose a job? Will I lose an opportunity? Starting to be okay with, and if that happens, and what, you know? And, right. and so what does that mean? Maybe that'll even still be helpful. Yeah. So I guess really just making space, everything's okay. We, ha we have this saying between the two of us, we remind each other, it's okay. Pumpkin, I'm so proud of you. Like historically, Melissa White has not been the hugest fan of talking talking about the feelings or like talking about like she has preferred to handle things on her own quietly <laughs> so i'm very proud there have been some silver linings may i say through this covid pandemic and this is what it is <laughs> my mental health ongoing journey is that uh, sort of the realization that i i am a very extreme person i like to feel things in extremes like even physically i'm i'm um bordering on hypermobile where emotions are concerned if then something comes up for me that's unpleasant if i'm having a challenge um whether it's with someone else or a challenge within myself my instinct is to immediately find a solution and sometimes that works but at, this is something that Melissa helps me with a lot. Sometimes actually what I really need is just to be still and quiet and gentle and make space either by breathing or just not trying to do, um, but rather just be, mm -hmm. check in. Where is it settling? Like where is this pain or discomfort physically? Um, and just kind of sit with, with the feeling the and, and not even really need to like without needing to fix it or even necessarily get to the why of it just sit with it because often just by acknowledging and being present with with what is it can soften and kind of dissipate on its own i think my first experience really with meditating was actually recommended by my therapist mm -hmm. um and she kind of did it with me in my session, but I noticed that when I started breathing really deeply that I was aware of like a tightness in my mm. chest. You know, she sort of talked me through loosening the knot in my chest and that actually like allowed me to cry and realize kind of what I was upset about. And so it's, it's kind of fascinating how, you know, I, I think of myself as a very analytical like person. I know how I feel, but it's, it's so fascinating to learn that sometimes your body knows even more about how you're feeling than your mind does. And that's kind of a, yeah. 
a crazy concept, I think, <laughs> if you yeah. grow up in, an, in a, like, intellectual, analytical framework. Definitely. Yeah, it just shows you how, how interconnected everything is and that there really isn't the separation. We talk about it, we always say, like, mind, body, spirit, but actually, like, it's just one big soupy goo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Much like we're doing here, Elena and I feel strongly that it's important to share and it is important to start to have a safe space where you can talk about these things. When you go to an AA group, let's say, or having a group where you can go and share in a way where you feel supported and understood and know that you will be heard is a way of healing. And so part of intermission, what we try and create is a safe space to talk about these things. Because as performers, we give, 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 but being able to open up and hear others going through similar challenges or feelings or emotions um, can be or very it, helpful. Injuries, like, yeah, even something is, that shouldn't be taboo, but still often feels that way. Letting people know that whatever their problem is, no matter how extreme or how trivial, seemingly, um, like they really aren't alone and yeah. being a musician is very difficult and we yes. need, we deserve, and I think we, we owe it to ourselves and each other to, yeah, be there for each other without, once again, without judgment. Is that where share time comes in? Yes. Yeah. At, <laughs> does injury come up a lot as a topic in, in share time and the, the stigma around injury? Injury has definitely come up. And in fact, um, some of our retreat participants have actively been working through injuries um, and the and the yoga instructors that we bring in are just they're basically physical therapists um, in their own right so they've been able to offer a lot of solutions and modifications and different ideas so injury definitely comes up um, performance anxiety nerves um, just like general feelings of inadequacy and sort of going through the process of being nervous with each other, I would say, has been an element of share time. There was one year that uh, someone was preparing for an audition and um, we held a mock audition as, as part of our share time just so that she could kind of practice being nervous. And then we, we practiced kind of rewiring her, her expectation of the situation or, or we basically wanted to like give her the power to like access this safe space when she went to the actual audition. Share time can, it can also be like utterly ridiculous um, and not at all, you know, soul probing. And really, I mean, I just think it's, it's so great that you both are creating this safe space to share within your organization um, because it, it does feel sometimes like contemporary music, classical music is not really a safe space. Um, to talk about a lot of, like, a lot of things. <laughs> We're allowed to shift that. And, yeah. like, all of us, not just me and Melissa. Like, ev everyone right. is allowed to shift right. that. So it is definitely one of those things where you can, I, I think, lead by example. Like, if you provide, if you show up with safety for others, um, they will, I think, feel comfortable and empowered to do the same. And it's, it's hard. It's hard it's not hard. to judge, like, others and ourselves. It's just human nature to be judgy and especially when we've you know been through like the competition circuit where you literally show up to get judged like that is what a competition is mm -hmm. and then like people rank you it's just like ridiculous and 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 yet we're supposed to be you know 
bearing our most private emotions through our music. It's a very weird dichotomy. Um, but as much as we can kind of reframe and rewire and be accepting, um, and, you know, like not everyone's musical offerings will be to everyone's taste, but I think as much as we can show up and like be appreciative in whatever ways we can and kind, like at the bare minimum, we can yeah. be, we can be nice. Absolutely. And then the other thing we like to remind ourselves and our community is that we're, we're like athletes. Our bodies work as a unit to do the thing we love. And so taking care of our bodies, the physical, the mental, the emotional, um, all aspects goes into what we do. In sports, you know, you see on the news, oh, he took a, he had a hamstring injury, but we expect to see him next week and we can't wait to see him out on the field. Whereas then music, you know, it's got to be hush hush because you could lose all your gigs and then who knows if you'll have a job and, you know, so it, it's it has this really negative space associated with it when really it, it shouldn't be that way. We've all gone through injuries. So perhaps we can talk about what helped us, who helped us, how it helped us and grow from there. I, I would be maybe curious to go into talking a little bit more about performance anxiety, what your experience of performance anxiety has felt like and um, how yoga has, has helped you with it. It's a, a huge topic, performance anxiety, but I think on some level, we all experience it and the way it manifests is, is what's unique. Making space to be quiet and sit with something allows you to be aware. Of course, we all can feel when our heart pounds, but do you feel when it creates tension in different places? Or um, do you notice it makes you not be able to feel the ground? Do you notice it shortens your breath? Do you notice it, you know, takes away from perhaps the positive talk mental talk you give yourself or the fun that you bring to your music so starting first to just become aware and then um starting to have a toolkit because once again there's no one answer or one right way right and so lots of elements come into play when we go to perform lack of sleep did you eat well did you you know how was your travel how was are you cold on stage? So many things. So with this toolkit, being able to self-soothe, or even if it's not soothing, just be able to self-regulate. Of course, breathing has been very helpful for us. There are lots of breathing techniques, lots of different ways you can think about deep breathing. Um, also starting to think about grounding ourselves. And so what that feels like first of all, in different shoes here in a pandemic, being able to perform barefoot. I know that, so yes, I performed with the Richmond Symphony. I was not ready to put heels on for that concert. So I wore my gown with sneakers. They weren't like lace sneakers, they were slip-ons. Yeah. Um, my mom was a little offended. She's like, Missy, what's happening? I'm like, no, I got used to really just planting my feet on the ground and being comfortable forever. So for this 30 minutes of a piece, I'm not going to put on heels and see how that feels. And then also the headspace is such a complicated one. The added live stream aspect somehow has done a real number on really? what nerves even feel like because it's taken my brain to a place where I can't conceptualize what people are doing. I, are they staring at me? Have they turned me off after like a no? Um, <laughs> are they like 
keeping a tally yeah. of whatever, you know, playing a drinking game. I don't know how, <laughs> how many people are doing this. You know, are we talking like thousands? But then I'm like, Melissa, really thousands? No, you're, you're not that many people even know this concert's happening. So then, then I'm like, okay, great. So five, we're talking five, right? So, you know, it's just created this space in my head that yeah. is now a new t- territory to, to deal with. And that's made playing on stage a weird kind of fun. So I still get the joy of making the music and creating this with others around me. Um, But it's not fun to not get to experience it with the people with you. Because when you're in a room together, I feel like the the journey is palpable the energy is exchanged when we have human moments and things happen differently than we've perhaps practiced for them to go sure um you know the the audience first of all probably they don't hear it but you're you know they were there beforehand to hear how it got up and how you got away from it and and the whole ride right so it makes it for me personally, a lot more fun and a lot easier to experience in person. And so navigating that now through a virtual realm, I keep having to remind myself that people still need the joy of music and they still, they're not the ones in the practice room. Like we are taking all of the details under a microscope. So they really are there to have a change in their day or have, you know, a nice calming or enjoyable musical experience. Um, and so a lot of granting myself a lot more grace, but then yeah. also remembering that it's not just about us there. We are still a community, even though we can't be together. I feel like being with a group of people is, is partial, partially why we go into music, you know, just to create that sense of community. Yeah. And it's been hard without it. For sure. I want to do share time. (laughs) (laughs) You're invited. We've done them virtually now with our weekly yoga flows that we have. Sometimes we've invited people to stay on afterward for coffee hour. Um, We ran a retreat for the Louisville Orchestra and we had a happy hour. There have been more and more virtual elements to intermission. Um, We have an app now for iOS um, so that people can start to, you know, just have like a little toolkit in their pocket. Um, little exercises to do, things to think about before they go on stage. Um, and since the pandemic, we've been hosting a lot of um, classes on Zoom. We do weekly yoga classes um, for anyone to drop in. We've done a lot of virtual workshops for organizations and festivals and schools, all that kind of stuff. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you so for having us. Thank you for having us. As musicians and artists, we really need to be fully present with ourselves. And this means understanding our own physical and emotional needs and to really understand when we are struggling. I think what Elena and Melissa have created with intermission sessions is really an incredible model for how conservatories and universities could really expand their teaching methodologies to encourage students to really take ownership of their own bodies, of how they express themselves, and not feel like we have to conform and that there is one right or wrong way to perform or write classical contemporary music. Lastly, taking time and space to just be instead of go, 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 doing all the time is so important and it really does give you new clarity. So thank you, Melissa and Elena, for joining me today, and thanks for listening. 
Thank you for listening to Loose Leaf Notebook. I'm Julia Adolph, and the music you are hearing is my orchestral work, Dark Sand Sifting Light, performed by the New York Philharmonic with Alan Gilbert conducting. If you'd like to hear some more of my music, you can visit my website at juliaadolph.com or my YouTube channel, which also has video versions of all of these podcasts. Thanks again.